Storygram Network. Hosting for this podcast is generously provided by Transistor at Transistor.fm. Hi, my name is Laura Lee, and this is It's Not About Food. So it's not about food, and it's not about weight. What is it about? Everything else. Because it's never, ever about food or weight. Never, ever. Not even. One time. Not ever. Ever, ever. Hello, everyone. This is Laura Lee Rourke, and it's Not About Food podcast. And today we are talking about Inhabit. And the front of the card has the goddess sort of shaking her booty, some drums behind her, and the little deer, dog, whatever this little animal person is, is also dancing. And there's a little musical notes around. It just looks like they are really having a fun time inhabiting, inhabiting their bodies. So on the back of the card, it reads, inhabit means to live in our bodies not in our heads. When we learn to be present in our bodies, to move out of the obsessive thinking and into our feelings, we can learn to identify and meet our physical, emotional, and spiritual needs. First, we must be aware that we are in the obsession, in the thinking, in the head. Then we can use our breath to bring our awareness into our body and explore what we are experiencing in our bodies. So this is a lot of words to say that part of the recovery from an eating disorder or really any disorder is to go ahead and live in the body that you have. Live in here. I often say to my clients and to myself, this is the only body that you're going to get. I used to have some sort of fantasy that I would get another body that I liked better when I got older. But it was the opposite. My body, I wish I had not hated it for so long when I was younger because it was pretty great. Now as I'm getting older, things are breaking and not working as well as they used to. But I'm still appreciating it because I know at 80 or 90, if I'm blessed enough to still live here in this body, I'm going to think, wow, I had it all going on when I was 70. (laughs) So... I have to remember that, that it is about being here now with what I have, and it's pretty great. And even though I have a human body, so it does hurt sometimes, and it has different things going on with it, but I had to learn how to be present in my body, not in my head, but in my body, in order to feel what it feels like to be hungry or tired, or what does it feel like for my body to say, I want to move around, that doesn't have anything to do with when I was younger and a professional dieter, thank you very much, that I wanted to move around so I would lose weight. Now I just see that my body likes to move around. It just does. And it doesn't have any other hidden agenda about that. It just wants to go. And then sometimes it doesn't want to go at all, wants to rest. And I have to listen to what it says. So that's the learning, the lifelong learning. I have a kitty. I had to learn how to be with that kitty, which is different than other kitties I've had. I have two dogs 
now. I have a very old and ancient dog, and I'm having to learn how to be with Scooter as he gets to be older and older. And I have this new little pup that we got, and who she is and what she needs. And it's like that with my body. I have to learn what it needs and what it wants as it goes through its life and not be stuck on, well, it used to be this or it used to be that. And as always, this last sentence of, I can use my breath to bring my awareness into my body and explore what I'm experiencing. I forget, I often say that when I stopped smoking many years ago, I forgot to breathe. (laughs) So I had to remember how to breathe without a cigarette in my mouth. And that was a learning behavior, surely. Anyway, so I am so grateful to my next guest to be here. We're going to talk about inhabiting or whatever it is that she wants to talk about. And I'll let her introduce herself and tell us what up with her, what she's doing these days. So take it away. Hey, I'm Gabby Kogut, and I do a bunch of cool stuff. <laughs> I teach art history, which is really fun. Teaching modern art right now, which is really especially fun. And I consider myself a proud fathlete. So that's a fat athlete. That's some of what I want to talk about that I've come to really enjoy that. And I have four cats, so <laughs> I really relate when you talk about cats. I'm very obsessed with them. And I'm very active on Facebook if anyone wants to friend me. What is your Facebook address? I know it. But maybe you want to put that out. It's G-P-K-O-G-U-T. G-P Kogut. My last name is weird. But if you search Gabby Kogut, you'll find me. And I look like... You'll see what I look like, I guess. Well, you have a face and a head and a body and you have some hair. Yeah, it's great. It's really cool. Yeah. And I am the proud wife of a trans spouse. So my wife, John, is trans. And we've been married almost seven years next month. Excellent. So we're really tight. And I've been into fat acceptance since 2013. So actually fairly long now. The pioneers for sure. Oh, I wouldn't go that far. I don't know. When I first heard the even word fat acceptance, it was like, what is that? And how can I get more of that? Because uh, you know, (laughs) I want that to be the way that it is. Yeah, I just found it through Facebook and websites just randomly in my mid-20s. And I was like, I didn't know something this great could exist. It's totally changed my life and really made everything so much better. And I'm just amazed that such a wonderful movement is out there. Yeah, we started Beyond Hunger in 1988. That wasn't a thing. We didn't say that. That wasn't a saying. That was what we did with Beyond Hunger, like accept and love the body that you have, was one of the very first things that we talked about. And then the second thing was to learn or relearn or know that you already know how to eat intuitively. And then the third piece was take care of yourself emotionally so you don't turn to food or drugs or alcohol or inappropriate people to hang out with or whatever. So you don't hurt yourself. And then when there was a movement coming called fat acceptance, I was all over it. I just was so happy that there was people working for that. And how can I get in that club? How can I do it? So tell me what you're doing about that. What is a fat athlete? What's a phalethalate? Athlete is what I like to say. Okay. It's like fat plus athlete together. I'm not the inventor of that, but I love it. So I love it too. 
I think you should take credit for it because you're the first well, one saying it um, on the I show. I started out, I've always been fat my whole life. I was just born like this and definitely grew up learning that wasn't okay and it was weird. And other kids were also much skinnier and I didn't really understand it. And my mother's a yo-yo dieter. There's a lot of hurt in the generations of my family around weight. And I think that's pretty sadly common. So we were dieting together when I was nine. So I really grew up in this. Uh, I tried yeah. a juice cleanse in high school. I was always fat to more or less, to a greater or lesser degree. But I was definitely dieting probably from age nine through college when I was just like, I give up. This is stupid. Yeah, it's stupid. And I, it's very stupid. It's very stressful. You know, I remember doing this juice cleanse and it tasted like very acidic orange juice. And it wasn't bad. But I was so hungry because it wasn't food. Of course. You You take a perfectly healthy person and then put him on a quote-unquote diet that makes him sick, really. And we're doing that for what? For thinness. For the love of thinness. And it's a multi-billion dollar industry, the diet industry. And the brainwashing is complete when the person decides that they're not okay and needs to do it. Yeah, I really believed that I couldn't be loved if I was fat. So then my response to that was not to try to lose weight, but just, oh, be alone, because I like being by myself. I just couldn't handle dieting. I really like to eat. So I was just like, okay, I'll be by myself. And then I got very lucky and found the love of my life, who had no problem with my weight at all. And I found fat acceptance. I think we were engaged by then. Well, you were doing fat acceptance before that then. You just found another one that was just accepting you for who you are, really. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah. Just drop the fat. Just go to acceptance. Yeah, I just got kind of lucky. I met a lovely, wonderful person. And she's fat, too. And uh, I love it. I had an intermediate stage for a while. I was dieting in high school, in college, and some of graduate school. I was intermediate, like... I'm not willing to diet, but I don't know what to do. I didn't know something as great as fat acceptance was possible. So I would just have whatever I want. And I was what I call counter-dependent for a while. Oh, my mom said pasta is bad, so I'm going to have that. And I learned that cheese is bad, so I'm going to have that. Yeah. Right, right. There was a time when I recovered from my eating disorder that all food is legal. I still believe that because it's just food. Lettuce and ice cream is just food. It's just a matter of which do you want right now? And maybe lettuce never works for you. And is that okay with you? So it's okay. Whatever it is, it's fine. Let your body be your guide. But if I were to live that way, I was convinced that I would just be as big as the world, would just be like the Michelin man. But I found that actually my body knows much more then my head knows. My head is the one telling my body that it needs to think this certain way. And my body's saying, but I don't think that way. I think it's okay to eat pasta and or cheese if it feels good to me at this moment. So I would force myself to eat things just like you in reaction. Well, I'll eat only dessert. It only took a little while before I felt not that good with only eating dessert. And I had to like not say, being a dieter, you like, okay, I'm never going to have that again. And that just never worked. It never worked. Yeah. I had basically sworn off any kind of athletics because I really felt that was for thin people. And I think a lot of people feel like that. A lot of thin people think like that too. Yeah, sadly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
when I was in high school, we had fitness class and we would run around a track. And of course, I was by far the slowest. And there were people who could walk faster than I would run. And they would point this out to me. There was this kid who kept breaking his arm. And he was like, I can walk with a broken arm faster than you can run. It's like, well, thanks. Yeah, whatever. Thanks. And uh, I realize now that the school didn't do anything to make it fun. Like, the, it was just here's how much you have to run around the track. There were no intervals. I mean, there'd be maybe different activities at times. Just everybody had to do it. It wasn't really very much about anybody's feeling. No. <laughs> so everybody just ran past me. And then the, the strange part also was that uh, we would run on a college track because my school is near a university and they have a very good gymnastics team. And so sometimes the gymnastics team would be like warming up and things in the middle, a little below our track. So you could watch all the hot, skinny, muscular men warming <laughs> up while you're running really slowly. And it was a, a strange experience because as a high schooler, you know, I thought they were cute, but it all also just made me feel more inferior. When did you begin the transformation of owning that part of yourself that I can be an athlete no matter what? We don't, it was quite gradual, I would say. I did loads of years of therapy and I still do therapy twice a week, including during the pandemic. And I love therapy. I feel like it's really saved my life. So I worked for enough years that my therapist is very into body work, started to recommend doing more stuff in my body. And at first I was pretty skeptical and I was just like, no, I hate everything. And he's, what about taking a walk? And I'm like, I get bored. But I always remembered loving swimming as a kid. So I found a gym that had like aqua classes. And there's a little stigma there. Oh, if it's aqua aerobics, everybody's old. And that actually is true for a large degree. <laughs> so I started going to that and I loved it. It was so fun to be in the water and everything's easier in the water. And I didn't mind being fat in a swimsuit and nobody was judging me. And I live near the Bronx in New York and most people didn't speak great English anyway. <laughs> we would get instructions both in English and Spanish. So I learned a little Spanish. Okay. I was pretty much the only white person, maybe one of two or three younger people. And I just loved it. And everyone would hang out in the hot tub afterwards and, and gossip in Spanish. God. You found your community. Yeah, though I didn't really join the hot tub because it's too hot for me, actually. Oh. But it was just so much fun. And I say was because of COVID, that gym no longer exists. But it was amazing. And being in the water taught me that it can be fun to move my body and I can do it while being fat. And I had the foundation of someone who loves me at home. So I wasn't really that worried about being made fun of. And by now I've read lots of stuff about diet culture. So if you say something, obnoxious I can totally go against you yeah you can push back yeah so I had like this fat acceptance foundation really I had to get a mental foundation before I could approach my body I'm very much an egghead like I, I study and ignore my body once I was called like a pure spirit because I was just studying all day and I thought that was like a great compliment and that is not <laughs> how it was meant the lady was not That's a fan so of me funny. Well, it seems to me like that you had this arsenal, like a superhero of all this stuff, like the golden bracelets. You were going to like fat acceptance, duh, non-diet approach, duh. And then you had a partner at home who loved you no matter how you showed up it was okay. So you had that shield around you. That's so yeah. great. I, I got to admit, I, I was lucky when I started to ask people, oh, do you like this person when we were dating? And, and very early on in our relationship, I knew we were forever. It was just really this deep love and connection right away. And someone close to me did say she's very overweight and seems to not have impulse control. Oh. And I, 
Yeah. And I was like, <laughs> we're going to be together. So you just have to deal with it. Yeah. She's not overweight to me. She's perfect for me. So to me, who would even say that? You know what? Shut up with yourself. Their feet are too big or I don't like their ears or give me something that's really important. They're going to cheat on me. Something like that I would listen to. But how they look is just so not on the radar here. I've really learned how generational trauma is so serious and painful and really sticks with you because I never met her, but I know that my grandmother would have binges and my grandfather would be very insulting to her. And guess what? He was a surgeon. He was a doctor. Doctors are often the most fatphobic. Storygram Network. Welcome to One Media, One Media. I'm... When you're whining with nurses. It's a place I like to call The Bleed. My name is Laura Lee, and this is It's Not About Food. The art of being yay isn't just something he developed. Storygram Network. No kidding. I know because people still, I send somebody, their knees are going out and they go to the doctor and the doctor says, well, you have to lose 50 pounds before we can put a new knee in there. It's like, and that's not necessary. No. All the stuff about pressure on your joints is bull. Absolute bull. It's the 200 pounds that doctor weighs because that's not a true statement. Find a doctor that knows that the knee that they're going to put in can hold 3,000 pounds. Are you 3,000 pounds? And even that is not going to give up. It's titanium. It's strong. So it's ridiculous to say that you can't have a knee replacement unless you lose weight. So yesterday. Yeah, I haven't had too many bad experiences with doctors, but I did have one say to me, oh, you should lose some weight. And I'm like, I'm having no trouble with my knees or any movement. And she's like, oh. it's like, how do you know that? What's your effing problem? I agree with you. They don't know what else to do with us. They don't know how to say you're going to have an aging process. And things might break and we? And I'm going to be there for you as you go through this. No, it's so much easier just to say, if you lose weight, there's a thing about losing weight here, at least in California. And there's an underlying kind of idea that if you eat right, if you eat clean, quote unquote clean, and you exercise and you do all the right things, you won't die, which of course is not true. Because we will. But there's a weird thing about that, that you have to eat this certain way and be this certain way so that you be like ultimate health. And then what? And you're still going to get a bad knee or you're still going to get a rash or you might get COVID or there still might be things that go wrong. Of course it will. We have a human body. Of course it will go wrong. Of course. Nobody gets out of here alive. So we might as well enjoy it. So it sounds to me like What you're doing is I might as well enjoy this is the body I have. I might as well take it swimming or take it running or take it somewhere. Yeah, it's a lot easier to exercise and move and try new things when you're not pressuring your body. Because when I felt that, oh, I have to be thinner, I just wouldn't do anything. It was all too scary. But now I can try anything because I'm fine. And I feel like just getting out there and trying something or moving, that's automatically a win. So I don't have to wait for my body to change or the scale to change. And I don't use scales. I don't have to be good at it. Like, I don't have to have any result if I do it. So it's great. I think about our bodies as like our trusted
devoted servants, like a loyal dog. And the dog wants to go for a walk. And as the companion to the dog, it's our job to take the dog for a walk. But the dog doesn't have to lose weight before I take it on a walk or get a new collar or anything. Just wants to go. Yeah. So the water was my big opening. And then I thought, maybe I'll try some other exercise. So I did stuff on land. I did Zumba. I did these cool methods called body combat. And what's the other one? Body pump. They're made by Les Mills. It's this group in New Zealand. I didn't know I could be strong enough to do stuff like that. So all these new fun pathways were just opening up. And then COVID made it complicated because my gym's closed and both gyms permanently closed. So I realized I have to find something to do. So I found Body Positive Fitness online, which is a really great Canadian company. Oh, you might want to have some of them on your podcast. Body Positive Fitness? They're called Body Positive Fitness. They're based in Toronto. Okay. And they teach virtual classes. Excellent. And so I got into doing that and I would put on my own music and then follow their instructions. And they're just so nice and open. They're very, well, body positive, as the name implies. They're also very LGBTQIA friendly. And if you don't want to do an exercise, you can do another one. They just want to encourage you to move. Yeah. So not rigid and you have to be this certain thing. It's just about finding your path with your body. Nice. So I felt pretty good. But then one of the teachers there was doing a running class. And that was back in December. And this is going to sound weird, but I felt like called on to do it. Like I felt some kind of something in my body, some huge excitement that I had to give this a try. And uh, I think it's because my running experiences were just abysmal in high school. And now suddenly it's, you know, 15 years later or so, and running is actually being put in a body positive way in the teacher's bodies like mine. And so I thought, whoa, if I'm ever going to be able to run and not have a panic attack, this was it. So I thought, wow, I really want to give this a try. So basically they give you kind of videos and instructions and you go do it. And then we have a lovely Facebook group called Bopo Run and people post pictures and videos and encourage each other. It's really nice. It's like a little over a hundred people. And so my first ever run was in intervals, which I didn't know you could do. So instead of running 30 minutes, you can run a minute or two and then walk a minute and then run again. So you build up your strength. Yeah. Yeah. You build up your strength and your confidence and your ability. You build up the muscles in your legs so that it can do it. Yes. It's fabulous. So my first run ever was four intervals of just a minute running and then a minute walking. And so when I saw that was the assignment, I thought, I think I could actually do that. And I also played my favorite music. I have a deep obsession with Gilbert and Sullivan. Okay. So they wrote the, and I'm not sure if everybody knows, but they wrote the Ancestors of Broadway music. So things like Pirates of Penzance is quite famous, the Mikado, HMS Pinafore. They're actually 13 in total. Some of them are a little bit less known, like Iolanthe or Ruddy Gore or Patience is my favorite. I'm deeply obsessed with them and know like way too much. So the first thing I ever ran to was the patter song, meaning it has lots of fast words from the sorcerer. And so the guy sings, he's a sorcerer businessman. So he sings about all the stuff that he sells. And so the song goes, my name is John Wellington Wells. I'm a dealer in magic and spells. 
So I would run to that and be like, oh, my God, I'm doing this and not dying. And not even thinking about it, just being in the music and in your body. How great is that? As like a little kid, just being in it. Yeah. Fabulous. Yeah. Music really helps me connect with just my inner joy and being in my body and my mind not going too crazy. Sure. It sounds to me like you're already a creative person. You found that out. You found this out about yourself because look what you do. You teach about art history and already you're in another sort of part of the brain anyway in order to do that. I, I like to write as well. I have a Substack, which is like a kind of blog. And I write about athletics and fat issues sometimes. That's so cool. So if there's some young woman or young man out there that just has the body that's not okay with everybody around them. And they're thinking to themselves, oh man, this is going to be a long haul here. What would you say to them to inspire them to get into their body and to try different things with their body if they can? And to let go of that idea that they have to look a certain way or be a certain way in order to do it. That's a great question. The first thing that popped out at me is that I wear a size 22-24 in women's clothing. And so that doesn't really exist in stores anymore. So I only shop online. Like I cannot find my size in person. And I'm still really happy and I get great clothes online actually. If you learn what the fat stores are and figure out your basic sizes in them, you can get all kinds of great stuff. So it's actually not too bad in that way. Now I just look at stores and I'm like, oh, can't go in there, whatever. I like the website. You're reminding me the first time I went to Germany many years ago, I went in a store and I was looking at, I think, sweaters. And I was like looking at them. There was no sizes that I was used to. So I walked out with a sweater that was a size 48. And it was like, that just blew my mind. I had nothing to compare it to, to a 48. What? Or like in a shoe size, I'm a 40-something. What? It blows your pictures out of that. So you found a way to shop and be okay with the clothes that you're going to get and not have to go in and be all Eeyore about that Macy's Juniors doesn't have anything. Yeah. Yeah. I would tell people that there are so many great resources now. There are all kinds of fat activists professionally, and they have websites and blogs. And Facebook has so many great groups, and you can just ask people things and really meet people. I have friends all over the world through fat acceptance groups. I have loads of people I talk to in Canada, in Rotterdam, in just all over the U.S. I haven't met most of them in person, but I really feel a connection. You can find those resources, and there's just more and more out there these days. They're good books. There is. And I think, again, we're creative people. And once you step into this acceptance of yourself and your body, then doors can open up for you. When you're all closed in, I have to lose weight and I'm not going to go there, then nothing is available for you. Yeah, it does feel like the world is very closed off. When I was in college, I had a friend who I'm pretty sure was struggling with anorexia, and she actually did close herself off. Oh, you can only see me by appointment. I'm like, what is this? Exactly. And I felt like I thought I could be safe with you, and I'm not. I was so angry at her. And I said mean things because I wasn't very aware yet, and I do regret things that I said. Maybe you can send her this podcast. Yeah, maybe. I've thought about telling her how I felt, and I somehow never do it. 
because we reached like a truce or we made up one or two years later, but I never actually said anything. It was just so complicated because I felt like, oh, she's so different and wonderful. And then when she seemed to really be struggling with it, I felt hurt instead of understanding. Yeah, it's a process. Not only do we grow and change ourselves, but we grow and change on how we think about others. I mean, I'm all for making amends to people as often as possible. Just in that age group where a lot of my friends are dying and a lot of them, they tie loose ends up at the end of their life. And so why not do it as they come up, if you will? It's been so wonderful to talk to you about this. Can I just add a little thing? Yeah, go ahead. It helps so much to just do little bits of things without having a lot of pressure. So my first runs were, you know, I would run one minute. I built up to two or three minutes. And then I realized I like intervals better. I don't really like to run longer than five minutes without walking. What I do now is just lots of intervals. And I've built up that I can run a total of even an hour by doing four or five minutes of running and then a minute of walking and keep doing that. And yeah, I've run like 40 minutes, 50 minutes, even. I think my record now is like 62. And I never knew I could do anything like that. So So it's amazing how it builds up and it's really fun. And I have my music on the whole time. Our bodies are amazing, aren't they? They're just amazing. They just love to do it. It's so beautiful. And you did it the right way. You like went really small so that you didn't hurt yourself. I'm wondering if you'll say the last part of this card, the inhabit card, the today I will. Okay. Today I will practice checking in with myself throughout the day and notice what my thoughts are. I will then bring my awareness to my breathing, taking a few deep breaths and notice where I'm holding tension in my body. I will ask myself, what am I feeling in my body? I will allow myself to come home and practice being present in my body. Oh, I love that calling yourself home because we get all in our head, as I'm sure you understand, because I'm the same way, all in my head. And I forget to call my whole self home, my body, mind and spirit home. Yeah, I have this little trick where the sort of mean critical voice in me, I call it mean mind. And (laughs) there's so much around these days about being compassionate to that voice. It doesn't work for me. It just takes advantage of me if I do that. So I am just short with it. I'm like mean mind. I'm not listening to you. I don't believe you. Go over there. I'll just be like, whatever, not doing it. And then I try to come back to myself. And it's a tough training, but I've been working on it for years and it's really getting better. It's tough, but it's getting better. No, but it sounds very New York. You got New York on it. I guess I add kind of attitude to it. I'm like, I don't want this. Right. Yeah. Shut up. Go sit over there. Be quiet. Yeah. Janine Roth says something like she says to that voice, you are not my friend. And I am not listening to you. And I That's just great. always think about that. It's like, you're out here to hurt me. And we have to remember that that little recording was given to us. We didn't even have that to begin with. That was told to us. So yeah, it's not us saying these mean things. It's some teacher we had or some coach or maybe a parent or a sibling or an aunt. Somebody said these things to us and we took it to heart. And we can push back on that. We don't have to believe it anymore. Actually, another name I use for mean mind is mom mind. Because it doesn't speak exactly like my mom does, but there are certain structural things or insisting on being right that are a little personal. 
So it just helps to recognize those connections. Not to be mean to anybody, but just to see, oh, that's something I learned and I don't have to accept it. That's right. I can unlearn it and not believe. And you can get all Professor K on it. (laughs) You're wrong. No. Yeah. I'm giving you an F. You're not passing this class. Yeah. Anyway, I I really so appreciate you being on today. And I am so inspired by what you're saying that you're doing with your fathla the lick. <laughs> and uh, that's going to help a lot of people. It's going to really help a lot. Oh, I'd love to. For sure. It will. Just hearing that and how your progression was and where you are now with it. Good for you. Owning yourself and doing it. Thanks so much for making this beautiful podcast and inviting me. It's just been so fun and exciting. And I love your beautiful cards. Oh, thank you so this much. It's just you. great work. and so needed. Yes, us both. We're in there. We're out there slugging it out. So thank you very much for being here on the show. And I will see you later. Thank you for listening. You can find me on all the social medias at It's Not About Food. And if you would like to get the show a week early and ad-free, you can become a member at Patreon. Search It's Not About Food Podcast. Thanks so much.